brand new series looking at the book of Acts. Um, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses in just a moment. Um, but the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke, the author of the gospel named after him. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the four biographies of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament. Well, Luke done a two-volume work. He wrote the gospel and he also wrote the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts covers events from approximately the 30s to the 60s. That's not the 1930s or the 1830s, that is just the 30s to the 60s. Um, and it's reckoned to have been written sometime between AD 62 and, and AD 80, so very soon after those events occurred. And uh, some of you may not be so familiar with the New Testament as others, but the book of Acts is a sort of, I don't know, a link, a bridge between those four gospel accounts, the four biographies of Jesus, and the, the life of the church, which is often expressed in the letters, mostly in letters in the New Testament. So you get the four gospels, the book of Acts, and then the, the rest of the New Testament, the vast majority of the rest of the New Testament goes into a load of letters. So that the Acts sits there linking the two. It begins with Jesus' Jesus's ascension. And you're going to hear me use that word a lot this morning. The word ascension. Coming from the word to ascend, I'm going to just read you a dictionary definition of ascend. Um, so, so to ascend is to move, to climb or go upward, mount or rise to rise to a higher point or rank or degree, proceed from an inferior to a superior degree or level, to ascend. So we're going to be talking in a moment about the ascension, and that's where this, the book of Acts, begins, really. Um, and it's the ascension happens after essentially 40 days of um, post-resurrection activity, where Jesus after he was resurrected, was meeting with his followers. He was eating with them. He was continuing to teach them. And then he ascended to the Father. And around 10 days later, the Father sends, uh, sends the Holy Spirit on the day of the Pentecost festival, which they were celebrating. And, and that's when you could say the church was born. And the disciples who received the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, um, from really from that moment, preached the good news of Jesus fearlessly. And even on that very day, 3,000 were added to their number. I mean, hallelujah. Things were very different. And the church continued to grow. And you, you can read this, all this stuff in the book of Acts, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. Um, and as the church grew, uh, it, it, and as the church grew in number, and as they saw more miraculous things happening, the Jewish leaders of the day were scared. They were fearful of this new movement, and they began persecuting the believers. And because of that persecution, the believers be began to be scattered 
right throughout, eventually throughout the known world. Really refugees escaping um, death and imprisonment and opposition. And you, would, you think, well, that's a terrible thing to happen. But actually, it was only the fulfillment of the prophecy, which we're going to read in just a moment. So we're going to read the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Um, like I said to you earlier, it's Luke is writing uh, again. He's writing to his friend Theo, Theophilus, um, and as, as he did in the, the, um, the first book, the, the book named after him, the Gospel of Luke. So this is Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 1, reading the New Living Translation. He said, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, as the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. Right? Don't be nosy. But then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What a commission. And like I say, that was fulfilled as the church was persecuted. They were having a good time in Jerusalem. And it wasn't until persecution broke out that they were scattered to the known world for the prophecy to be fulfilled. And just, as, just a comment on that, sometimes when you're in the midst of something, you think, this seems really terrible. This is really horrible. This is not good. If, I doubt if many of those people in the midst of persecution, when their mate Stephen was stoned to death, other people were taken off to prison, and I'm sure others were killed, were thinking, hallelujah, this is good. This is a fulfillment of God's prophecy. But we, with the, the, the benefit of a lot of hindsight, can look and say, yeah, this is God's plan being fulfilled here. Can you see that? Maybe as we've been through some painful, difficult, troubling times, you think, where's God gone? Maybe he will use some of those difficult, troubling times to his glory. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Back to this account. So verse 9 says, After saying this, this is talking about Jesus. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? 
Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Lots of stuff there. Like I said right at the beginning, I'm going to focus on those last three verses and really just spend most of our time looking at the ascension. And like I said, I'm going to be saying that word a lot. The ascension of Jesus, when Jesus went back to the Father in heaven. But before we just get into that, I just want a couple of questions to ask you. Two questions, really. I think the first question, there'll be fewer people saying they've, uh, they've experienced this, but you'll hear it. So the first question is this. Have you ever seen any genuinely remarkable or amazing events? And I don't mean, you know, uh, the sun shone yesterday, although that is quite remarkable, but genuinely remarkable or amazing events. Also, this may be an easier one to answer. Have you ever met and spent time with a properly famous person. Now that means you're going to have to answer me some questions. So, wh- have you ever have you ever seen or experienced any r- genuinely remarkable events? Maybe even a global event. And have you spent time with a genuinely famous person? This is your time to put your hand up and say, "Yeah, I've I've met." Um, yeah, Sharon. Go on. Who? Te- yeah, of course I want you to say. I'm no. I'm curious now. Oh, yeah. You was in a film. (laughs) Keep going. So so you forgot the name of the main character, but Catherine Tate. So you've spent time with Catherine Tate and you've been in the Queen's back garden. That's nice. There you go. Anyone else? There we go. Tell, nice and loud. You met, st- oh, whoa, 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 hold on. Just for the uh, recording, Terry met Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and Harrison Ford. Was this a dinner date or what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Never heard of it, no. Raiders of the Lost Ark, you made the hats, or sold the hats. Yeah. Oh, I would dine out on that story for ages, mate. (laughs) Brilliant. There you go. Fantastic. That's a good one, ain't it? Cool. Is anyone going to top that? Arita. There you go. You saw the you saw the king at work there, didn't you? Amen. Anyone made any frocks for the prime minister or anything like that? 
No, nowhere near. Um, hello. Yes. Yes. There you go. The, the, the amazing, the global event was the handover of Hong Kong back to the Chinese, but... So everyone loved Tony Blair at that time when you shook his hand. <coughs> Things move on and time moves on. But a, but a significant global event with Hong Kong being handed back to the Chinese after the... How long was the lease? A hundred year, years lease. There we go. We've got to a significant global event. I was confident somebody in the room would have one. And obviously lots of people. Sharon's been in a film. Brett Goldstein, never heard of him. But <laughs> did, I, did I ever tell you I was in a film? <laughs> oh, anyway, we've, we've moved further and further away from the ascension of Christ, so let's get back double quick. Um, but because I want to focus on, <laughs> that was a very long-winded way of uh, focusing on a truly remarkable global, not global, universal event uh, that happened to a properly famous person, right? So just, let's just remind ourselves of those last three verses of Acts chapter, that, that I read from Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I'm going to say them again. It says, Jesus said this. Uh, Jesus uh, had been speaking. Then he says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee! They said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. <coughs> if you were going to write a book called The Life of Christ or something similar, you'd probably start with Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, that amazing story the Christmas story which we read in the Gospels. And if you were writing a book called The Life of Christ, you'd have to describe the wonderful things that he did when he was on this earth. You know, his teaching. He taught as one who had authority. The teaching was sublime. It, the people were amazed at his authority. And the miracles he did. I mean, wow, you'd have to talk about them, wouldn't you? Feeding the 5,000 with one boy's lunch of fish and bread, you, calming the storm, walking on the surface of the sea, healing every sickness and disease. You'd have to talk about all that stuff, wouldn't you? And you'd, you want to talk about him as a person, the, the love he had for everybody and, and the fact that everybody loved him. You know, outcasts and kings, children and old people. Everyone wanted to be around Jesus. And you'd want to talk about that and discuss and describe his character. And of course, you'd write about the cross, wouldn't you? The sacrificial death of a sinless Jesus winning that great victory for each of us. 
taking the punishment we deserved when he was nailed to the cross at Calvary. You know the Easter story? Shedding his blood so we could be forgiven. You'd have to talk about that, wouldn't you? And the resurrection of Jesus. You know, three days later, he's alive again. He's defeated sin and he defeats death itself. What a story if you were writing that story. But if you finished your book there, and it's an amazing story up to that point. You know, Jesus is born, he lives that sinless life, he does all those wonderful things. He's, he's crucified, but it's always part of the plan. He sheds his blood so that we could be forgiven, and death couldn't hold him, he's alive again. If that was the book, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end with the resurrection. In your book, there should be chapters on his ascension to heaven. And more, there should, be, there should be words written about his exaltation in heaven. He was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And there, there should be more paragraphs about his prayers prayed from the throne itself on our behalf through the ages. And I'd like to think there should be some paragraphs written about the fact that he's coming back again. It doesn't stop with the resurrection. So why is the ascension of Jesus important for us? Well, it's important for us because everything that Jesus did, he did on our behalf. Right? We're all united in Christ, aren't we, in, us, in that spiritual sense. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. Right? So, so, you know, we experience new life in Christ. His life lived. We, we, experience, we share that, if you like. We share in his death and resurrection, don't we? You know, we died to sin. We, the old has gone and the new has come. We are resurrected and, and the act of baptism is sort of de de demonstrative of that and celebrates that. As we go down into the water, it's like the old person's been buried. And as we come up, there's new life. So that, that death and resurrection on our behalf. But Jesus also ascended back to the Father in heaven. And that's where we're going. We're sharing in that as well. And he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. We are co-heirs with Christ, the Bible tells us. We share in that also. Can you see why the story shouldn't stop at the resurrection? And so often, we, we, we don't focus on this that much, do we? I mean, there's, there's lots to focus on, on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Man, we could sing songs to that and glorify him forever on that. But there's more, which is a wonderful thing. Another reason for the importance of the ascension of Jesus is that it opened the way for the Holy Spirit to come. You know, Jesus told his disciples that if he didn't go away, then the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, wouldn't come to them. It's like Jesus was with, with them in one place at one time like that, bodily in bodily form, as he goes back to the Father, as he is exalted to his right hand, the Holy Spirit comes and he's with all people at all times. It's a win 
situation. So it's important that Jesus ascended to the Father. Why else is it important? Well, Jesus ascended to a real place. Right? Heaven is a real place. Invisible to us. Difficult to describe. But definitely real. And definitely your home if you are a believer in Jesus. It's the place where God is worshipped by angelic beings, where his throne room is, from where he governs the universe. Let me read you some, some words from the book of Revelation just to excite you somewhat on this one. Right? I'm going to read from Revelation, some passages from Revelation 4 and 5. Just glorious stuff from that vision that John had of heaven. After, I, after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what, you, what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a, a rainbow resembling an emerald, encircled the throne. I mean, can you see how he's struggling to even describe this in words that we can understand? A rainbow resembling an emerald? Doesn't make sense, does it? Encir encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. From the th throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder before the throne. Seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was an ox, the third had the face like a man and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. It's weird, isn't it? Every, even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it goes on and on. You can read through those chapters yourself. Just a glorious description of heaven and the throne room and God enthroned, exalted there, ruling and reigning. And that's our home. That's where we're going because we also will ascend. We should think about this stuff, shouldn't we? Do you know what? I wasn't even going to preach about the ascension right, when I've got this passage, because I thought, I know what I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach verse 8, right, you will be my witnesses, right, that's exciting, isn't it, and then I was reading through this stuff, and then I thought, oh, well, I'll do half and half, a bit on the ascension, and a bit on being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, and then the more I looked at this, the more I thought, no, I'm just going to talk about the ascension, because this is just drawing me, and it lifts our eyes from our current circumstance, and the and the difficulties we find ourselves in from time to time. And we can focus on eternal things. And we can focus on the promised things. We have a home in heaven. We are, we, we are destined to be with Christ as his co-heirs, brothers and sisters of his. 
That's why we should lift our heads. That's why we should consider our heavenly home and an ascended, victorious Lord Jesus. I love it, don't you? Oh, the ascension was the last time Jesus was seen on earth in, in, in that sense, right? There was, a special, there was special appearances, certainly to uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, but since his ascension, he's been in heaven, exalted at God's right hand and ready to come again at just the right time. The ascension is fact, not fantasy. The ascension of Jesus is an historical fact that was witnessed by the, by the disciples, right? There was, there was 11 of them by then, and they, they saw it happen. It's recorded in two of the four Gospels, as well as right here in this cha- first chapter of Acts. And we need to respond to it as fact. It's not fanciful. It's not fantasy. It is fact. And that's important to us, right, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's fulfilled it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Old Testament prophets referred to the ascension of Jesus, admittedly in some very in some picture language. Just a couple of those. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, we read these words. It says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. That's... That's prophetic, um, it's a prophetic forerunner of what's happened to Jesus, the threefold reference to, to what happened to, to Christ, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation. And you can go and read a commentary by Alec Motier, and he talks a lot around that. But you think, oh, yeah. It's, oh, there, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's written down. It's said hundreds of years before. This isn't just some made-up idea or some fairy tale. In Psalm 68, also obviously in the Old Testament, when you, it says in verse 18, when you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. We should be encouraged We should be encouraged to think about it, to meditate on the truth, on the fact of the ascension of Jesus. Do you know what else the ascension does? It proves Jesus ain't a liar, right? Because he spoke to the disciples before it happened, right? And those disciples were wavered and didn't get it half the time. And he, he, he said to them, he would ascend to where he was before. He told them that. They probably went, huh? What are you on about? Right? He told Mary Magdalene after his resurrection that he would ascend to the Father in John 20. So his ascension, his ascension, his ascension vindicates his claims. He had to rebuke the disciples, didn't he, for not realizing that the Messiah had to suffer. Suffer first and then enter his glory. And how does he enter his glory? As he ascended to the heavenly throne and was exalted there. What else does the ascension say to us? (coughs) The ascension highlights friendship and fellowship. Let me tell you why. 
in Luke's other description of the ascension, which sort of, you know, his, his gospel overlaps with the book of Acts. And he, d- he refers to the ascension at the end of Luke, and he obviously picks it up here at the beginning of Acts. And it, Luke says that Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany, the place, right? So he, he's just, he's going, he's, he's moved out to Bethany with them bef- just before. He as- that's where he ascends from, okay? Now, Bethany was the home of Jesus' dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And some commentators point out that it's significant that Jesus chose to ascend from Bethany, the place where he'd enjoyed special times of close friendship with some of his dearest people. You know, he didn't ascend from the temple in Jerusalem, right? Or from Bethlehem where he was born, or Nazareth where he grew up, or even Calvary or from the tomb where he was resurrected. He went to Bethany, the place of friendship, the place of relationship, the place of fellowship. And just before he, he was taken up, Jesus was still in fellowship with his close friends, wasn't he? He was still giving them last-minute instructions, words of encouragement, hanging out with them, instru- instructing them and guiding them and blessing them. Spending time with Jesus is a blessing. Right? That's an obvious statement, isn't it? But so many people are too busy to do that. And we've heard lots of people come to this platform and just encourage us to hang out with him without an agenda. You know, go and, go and spend time in prayer. Go and spend time just reading the, the Bible as a love letter from him. Just be in his presence. Have fellowship, commune with Jesus. It's good for you. Jesus went from fellowship with the disciples still on, you know, on this earth. He went from that place. That he, he, he was in relationship. He was in friend, fellowship. He went, ascended to the Father in heaven, and he's in relationship there with him, isn't he? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, demonstrating perfect fellowship and friendship. But the good thing is, he went there expecting us, his people, to ultimately be with him. That's part of the plan. It wasn't an accident. So it wasn't goodbye when he ascended. It was, see you later. Isn't that good? He said, we'll be together again soon in that way. And obviously we have the Holy Spirit with us right now in the meantime. Everyone's a winner. John chapter 14 says, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is the words of Jesus. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. Oh, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you when everything is ready I'll come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. He's gone to prepare a place for you and for me, right? 
to get our inheritance ready for us. Although he's now ascended and exalted and he's just, I mean, it's where, where John struggles to even describe the place, you know, rainbows that look like emeralds, what's that about? He's so high and lifted up, so ascended and so exalted, but he's still not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, is he? Wow. We're his. We belong to him. And he's getting our house ready. A new lick of paint. Some nice furniture. Exalted and enthroned. When Jesus ascended and reached heaven, he was welcomed by the Father. Psalm 110. The Father welcomed Jesus with the words, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's a good image as well, isn't it? It's just where you put your feet. At the moment, we're, some of us, we're, the enemies seem big, don't they? Jesus was exalted to the highest place. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is installed as God and King from the place of total superiority. He rules the nations, and the nations are our inheritance as co-heirs. Because he does it all for our benefit. It's for the church. It's for the believers. He is head over all things for the benefit of the body, the church. So how are we going to respond to the ascension of Jesus? Well, I mean, there's a multitude of ways, but I'm just going to highlight a couple because time is running out. By praising and worshipping him, that's not a bad one, is it? Right? You know, at Christmas we sing songs celebrating his birth. At Easter we sing songs celebrating his death and his resurrection on our behalf. But how often do we sing about an ascended Jesus? The ascended Saviour. We don't do it so much, do we? A Jesus who has been exalted far above all. A Jesus who is preparing our heavenly home. Let's have an eternal, heavenly aspect to our worship. Because it lifts our eyes from where we are. And right now, for lots of people, it's not a very good place to look at, is it? Let's look and worship the ascended, exalted Lord Jesus. How else are we going to respond? By serving our wonderful king. The angels told the disciples not to keep staring into heaven. What are you doing looking up there? He's, he's, he's coming back, but he's gone. Instead of looking up there, instead of looking up, we should look out. Right? Not looking up, but reaching out. Because we do have a commission to go. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's verse 8 of this passage we read. We can serve our king by reaching out. That's part of our worship, obviously, as well. We're called to worship and serve 
not just a risen Jesus, but an ascended and an exalted Jesus too. Are you optimistic for the future? Are you? Seriously. We should be. We should be. Now, we don't know the future, but we do know that Jesus has ascended. And he didn't leave to escape the future. He ascended because he's in control of the future. <clears throat> he's got the whole world in his hands. There's a song there, Sharon, somewhere, isn't there? But I won't sing it. <laughs> no, you don't want me to. <laughs> Everything is in his hands. Go, they're keeping on over there. We should be supremely confident in a, a crucified, risen, ascended, exalted Lord Jesus. The ascension, the ascension of Christ is the culminating point of Christ's redemptive work. It's part of the whole package. We don't chop it up into little bits. This is it. This is good. Hebrews 8 verse 1, I'm going to finish with a couple of quotes, right? Hebrews 8 verse 1 says, here's the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honour beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. That's the main point, he says in Hebrews. Right? The ascension is Christ's exaltation and glory after his rescue mission has been accomplished. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. This is in the New Testament as well. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above Every name. He is the exalted Son of God at the right hand of the Father. The ascension is the ultimate proof of total victory. And you know what? We're on victory side. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to finish there. I'd love to pray for us as City Hope Church. Is that okay? Should we stand together? Jesus, I pray you'd lift our heads. Lord, we don't want to look at circumstance and situation. We want to gaze on a risen, ascended, exalted Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we are yours. We thank you that you chose us, you picked us out, that you adopted us into your family and you're preparing our home right now. And Lord, I pray that, that, that everything that you are will shape everything that we are. Lord, that, we, that there'll be less of us and more of you. Whatever we're doing and whatever we're saying, whoever we're in relationship with, whoever we're speaking to and praying for, Lord, make us more and more like you in every facet of your character. Lord, we love you, the ascended, exalted Lord Jesus. And we worship you with song and word and deed. In Jesus' name. Amen.